Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And our second reading is from Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. As the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Heavenly Father, uh, we pray for Nick as he begins to bring the word of God to us this morning. Uh, We pray that as he encourages us with um, your mission for the nations, um, that your words will flow through him and, and bless us and spur us into action for your kingdom and for your glory. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, just get myself comfortable here. Good morning again. seems like I've seen you all before somewhere. If you... Uh, Pete, do you want to follow me? Is that all right? No, it's all right. I'll trust you, Pete, or Megan, who's ever doing notes up there. You guys can follow along. Now, have you ever been on a journey? Who's been on a journey? Just how did the journey begin? You were born? (laughs) Um, With the first step, right. What was important about going on that journey? Who said that? Stuart, you get the lolly today. The, the, free, the free lolly. Trent, have you seen my notes here that I had up here? I feel, like, I feel like we need different lecterns, Trent. You need, like, your worship one, and I need my preaching one. I found them. It's all right. I got them. It's like, it's like my office here. There's papers everywhere. <laughs> um, so 
you need to know where you're going. And as we begin a journey about mission, we just I want those readings there from the last book of the Bible, from the second last and last second and the last chapter of the Bible, just to show this is where God's going. This is the destination. This is where he wants to arrive at. This is where he will arrive at. He will arrive in the future. He's bringing his redeemed people to a place of perfection, a place of holiness and healing, a place of well-being and joy and light and love, a place of everlasting life where there's no longer suffering, there's no longer death, there's no longer the curse There's no longer brokenness. There's no longer sin. There's no longer anything that harms or hurts or destroys. That's where God is taking things. That's where he wants to bring you and every person in the world. He wants to bring us all to that place. That's the destination. That's the journey that that we are going on uh, in him and through him. That's where he wants to lead humanity, through his son Jesus. Now, that's good news, right? Even if you weren't a believer, even if you're an atheist, you should want that to be true. A place with no injustice, no violence, no exploitation, no suffering, no sickness. Even if you didn't believe in God or the Christian story, You should want that to be true. And I think most people, if you ask them, would say, I'd love the world to be like that. I'd love the world to be free of all the pain, all the suffering, all the hatred, all the violence, all the sin. But let's go back to the start. So we start at the end. Let's go back to the start where God gave humanity two choices. In the garden, it says that the Lord took the man, Genesis 3, 15, sorry, Genesis 2.15, took the man to, to care for the Garden of Eden and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. That's pretty expansive. It's pretty vast vision. There's just one tree you must not eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, I've sometimes said to God, Lord, why did you stick that tree there? Why? It's like you've created a room and there's all, you know, you, you've filled it with all these wonderful things and then right in the middle you've, you've stuck a big jar of the most delicious looking succulent candy lollies and then like a little five-year-old has come in and you said, now you can have anything you want, don't touch that big jar in the middle full of the delicious lollies. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen, Lord? It's a mystery and we won't go there. But it's a mystery, like why this tree is there and we're not allowed to have it. There's lots of theories and ideas and that's great. We won't go into them. But the clear thing I want to say is that God gave human beings two choices. Listen to me, have life, trust me, follow me, do what I say, or die. Thanks, 80. Um, participation's good, by the way, because it saves me having to say it. Death, more than death, separation from God, loss of intimacy, loss of friendship with God. They're your two choices. Now, for whatever reason, collectively, the first humans chose for all of us 
And we're all now on the second path, the path of spiritual death, of being separated from God. But God didn't just stand idly by. Um, initially, what happened then, obviously, was the curse fault. I won't read the whole text, but um, God curses the earth. Um, human beings are, are banished from the garden. The Lord God banished them from the garden. And so we were separated from God, separated... Next one, thanks, uh, Megan. Separated from his grace and his goodness. And then... But in that, there's a little sneaky promise in Genesis, um, the promised one in Genesis 3. It's been called the Proto-Evangelion or the first gospel. And it's a little promise that God sneaks in when he's cursing the serpent. And this is what it says. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to this satanic being. And between you, your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's like a little first promise of one who will come, who will undo this curse, who will crush the serpent and crush the work of the serpent. But the serpent will strike, will, will injure. That's the first gospel, the the prefiguring of Jesus coming. And then we see back in Revelation, I'm doing a bit of ping pong here this morning, back in Revelation 5, there's this whole scene where the Apostle John is in heaven and he sees all the glory of God and there's a scroll. And this scroll is is vital to, to life and to flourishing for humanity and no one's worthy to open this scroll. And then suddenly this one appears this lamb in the heavenlies, and it's Christ, to open the scroll. Now, you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. So at the very end of things, God's bringing all things together for good. But at the beginning, humanity collectively chose to go their own way. And so that leaves us with two destinations, We had two choices in the garden. And since Christ has come, we now have two destinations. We have another choice to make. And this is Revelation 21 we heard from Ben. He said it is done. Um, Actually, this is a different part. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, this heavenly kingdom, I will be their God and they will be my children. But listen, there's a a choice here. God's not forcing you or forcing me into his heavenly kingdom. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So there was a choice for humanity at the beginning. And you might say, well, I didn't get to choose. Those first folks chose for us. Well, okay, but we get to choose now. God has given us a choice in Jesus. And then the curse is lifted in the book of Revelation. This is Revelation 22. And I heard the loud voice from heaven saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. See, the intimacy is restored And connected through Jesus. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. And he will be their God. I love this. I read this at funerals. Every time I do a funeral, I read this text. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning. No more crying 
or pain. Just think about that for a moment. No more. For the old order of things has passed away. And then in Revelation 22, no longer will there be any curse. The curse is lifted that came on the creation through sin, through rebelling against God, through Jesus, his faithfulness, his goodness. The curse is lifted. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. That's a a picture of intimacy. God puts his own name on us. You know how like in your family, you're a Johnson, you're you're a Lawson, you're a Smith, you're a Tui. You share the name of your family. God says, I will share my name with you. I will put my name on you. That, isn't that beautiful? That's where God wants to bring us. And that's why, as a church, we are on mission. That is the mission God has given the church. Mostly it seems, you know, I just need to survive the day. I need to pay my bills. I need to get the kids ready for school tomorrow. Um, I've got all sorts of issues in my family or there's all these challenges in the world. We, we get... Focused by a lot, I just wanted us this morning as we start May Mission Month to look up and see that God's doing something wonderful. He's inviting humanity into that and the church is his vehicle by which he wants to invite humanity into what he's doing, into that heavenly kingdom through Jesus. And we are charged with that mission. That's us. There's no plan B, right? We're it. The church is God's way to do that. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But you'll see in that Revelation passage, it says that that God will be in the centre and the Lamb. It's very Christ-specific. It's not just generally sometime in the future, there's a heaven, there's a God, and basically if you're just a good person, you can kind of go there. No, it's specific. God and the Lamb, Jesus Christ, are at the centre of the city of the heaven. And it's through him and by him that we come into that relationship with God, that salvation, that heavenly kingdom. And it it speaks to the exclusivity of Jesus that he spoke about. This is what he said in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to God the Father, to that heavenly kingdom, except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. That's pretty sharp, isn't it? It doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room, but I've thought about it sometimes. Imagine that you were like in a flood situation and the waters were rising and you're on the roof of your house and you're like, I need help here. And someone comes in a boat and they're like, jump in the boat. This is your, your way out. This is, this is the way. I, I'm, I'm here to help, you know. And you're like, oh, you know, maybe there's another way. Or are you you're sounding a bit exclusive there? Are you saying that your boat's the only way out of here? There might be another way. There might be lots of options. You're like, okay, sure, but here's an option. And this is in terms of sharing Jesus with others. It's like people go, oh, but that sounds exclusive. What if there's other ways and all sorts of ways? Well, just grant that for a moment, though the Bible doesn't allow that. But just grant that there's like 100 boats that might be coming to save you. Well, here's one. Jesus has offered a way, so hop in the boat. Um, He says he is the way. He is the only one by which we can be saved. And he goes on, Matthew 28. All authority... All authority in heaven and earth. Why don't you say that after me? You said it before me. 
<laughs> Why don't you say, read the part in red, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and be comfortable, put yourself first, live a mediocre, unadventurous life and make sure you're okay. Look after number one. Um, no, that's actually a different translation. The original translation <laughs> is, therefore, go and make disciples, like shape and train and lead people to follow me of all nations, all the ethnic groups, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you, teaching them to obey, and I'm with you every step of the way. I didn't have that bit. And then he says in John chapter 10 to the Jews, I and the Father are one. Jesus claims oneship with God. And then they accused him. They wanted to kill him. Why did they want to kill him? Because you, a man, make yourself out to be God. Now, they should have killed him if he was just a man making himself out to be God because that would have been blasphemous, right? But he wasn't just a man making himself out to be God. And William Lane Craig says, Here is a man who thought of himself as the son of God in a unique sense, who claimed to act and speak with divine authority, who held himself to be a worker of miracles and who believed that people's eternal destiny hinged on whether or not they believed in him. That's what Jesus thought. That's what Jesus taught. Now, if you've got a problem with that, take it up with Jesus. But they're his words, not mine. But the part of Jesus' exclusivity might be hard in a tolerant, kind of pluralistic, inclusive culture where that sort of language riles us and riles people. Hey, found the one you're looking for? Maxana, that's good. Um, that might rile us, but Christianity is ultimately inclusive. It's, it's broad and expansive. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy. This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants... Oh, hang on. All people. All people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and people, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And then back one more. Sorry, I jumped ahead, Megan. For God so loved the world that he gave his one, there's the exclusiveness, his one and only son, that whoever. Who doesn't that include? Who's not a whoever? You're all a whoever. Everyone's a whoever. As Scripture says, read that one, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone. That's pretty cool, hey? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Christianity is, is inclusive and uh, Jesus is exclusive, but Christianity is an invitation to all peoples. And then why the church? Here's Paul in Ephesians. I mentioned just before, the church is God's vehicle by which he wants to fulfill this mission. His intent was that now, through the church, that's you, that's me, the body of Christ. Think global, we're a local expression of the global church. Through the church, God wants to express the manifold wisdom of God that it should be made known to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. And can you go to that chart, the next one? Just skip the next one. 
this is what Jesus, it might be hard to see, but I kind of narrowed down a few things in the Bible that Jesus did and taught. Because this is what the church is going to be about, right? It's going to follow him. Jesus taught people. He called disciples. What's a disciple? It's a follower. But even more than that, Julie, though that is true. Discipline, it's a student. It's literally the word. The word in Greek is mathematis, which we get our word math from, like mathematics. Mathetes, it's, it's a student. It's a learner. Jesus said, go and make students of all people. Make learners of them and let them learn from me, hear from me, follow me, become like me. Jesus wanted to teach people. He trained 12 For three years, he taught them. Jesus was a teacher and a preacher. He was called rabbi. He was a teacher. Ignorance is not bliss. And Jesus came to teach and to train and to equip us. He came to heal and undo disease and sickness. And he gave signs of that, the kingdom that is to come. In the kingdom to come, there is no sickness or disease or ill health. In this world now, we still experience that. But when Jesus healed, they were like signs of the kingdom coming into the present. And we still pray for healing. We still do that. But everyone's going to be um, ultimately taken by death at some point unless the Lord returns. So we don't put our hope on constantly praying for healing and, and not dying. Our hope is in the one who was raised to life and who will give us that eternal life in that future kingdom. But he did heal. He created a new community of love. He brought a new community together where people were valued and included in him and accepted no matter what their status was. He lived radical equality in a world that was stratified amongst between women and men, between the rich and the poor, between adults and children, between boys and girls. There were lots of divisions and lots of hierarchies. Jesus welcomed men as his followers and he sent women out as his followers too. He respected and included women in his inner circle. He respected and honoured children who had no status or rights in that culture. As hard as that is for us to understand. They didn't do kids' talks. Kids didn't have status. If you were a son, you had some status. And Jesus broke those. He lived equality. He inspired people and showed us how to live for peace and for justice. He wanted to bring harmony and healing to this world in his ministry, which he did, and the church continues. And he helped the poor and the hungry. He helped those who were low and downtrodden and oppressed. And this is what Jesus did. And this is what the church does. But have a look at this. It might be a bit hard for you to see this, this next one. But I've just got together literally the... the, the things, the priorities of these huge international foundations, Chan Zuckerberg, Gates, UN Sustainable Development Goals. This is billions, tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars being given. Um, and I've just, I've gone through their mission statements and used their own words at what they're doing. And isn't it interesting what they want to do? One of the first things they want to do is provide education, make sure that people get taught and are educated. That's great, right? We can celebrate that. Um, they want to cure disease, combat infectious diseases, good health and well-being. This is what we want to focus on. That's good, right? We can get behind that. They want to build strong communities, reduce inequities, sustainable communities. That sounds great. Jesus can support that. They want to promote equality. All lives have equal value. Reduce inequality. Yep, tick. Advance human potential. Inspire people to take action to change the world. Peace, justice and strong institutions. 
And I don't know what Chan Zuckerberg's doing here, but they had nothing about poverty. Um, so we've got to get going for that. So ban, just boycott Facebook for a week until they get that going. But the Gates Foundation, Alleviate Poverty, um, UN Sustainable Development Goals, No Poverty or Hunger. See, they're like kingdom things, right? They're kingdom visions. I'm not saying that you have to be a Christian to do this stuff, but what basis do they have for that, ultimately? If there's no God, if there's no heavenly kingdom to come, if there's no evil or no good, it's just basically human beings doing what we can. But Jesus initiates this. He he brings this kingdom, and we can support and cheer uh, as a people of God when we see people in our community doing good stuff, and whether they're Christians or whatever they are, we can cheer that and support that. Uh, And that's fine. But the next slide, realistically, like these places aren't perfect and they're not Jesus. They can't give ultimate hope. Facebook, um, there's been lots of scandals with Facebook. Bill Gates has had lots of scandals recently. Recently, a UN official was fired. They lost $20 million of funds that were meant to go to a poor community. There's not perfection there. There's not goodness and greatness It's not the kingdom of God. They're things that we can support and get behind as church communities, as Christians, saying, leaving poverty and hunger is great. But we need someone who can change hearts, who can change people from within, someone who can bring healing and hope, someone who can forgive us of our sins, someone who can change us from within. And the UN can't do that. The Gates Foundation can't do that. The Chan Zuckerberg Initiative can't do that. They can't change humanity. And Jesus said ultimately that at the heart of humanity's problems is the problem of the human heart. We need to be changed. We need transformation. God wants a renewed people, not just good things done. We can support and cheer good things being done. But God wants a renewed people, a changed people, a healed people, a forgiven people, and he's provided the way in Jesus. Just tell you a little story before we go to that um, next slide. On March 14, 1979, a small group of Indigenous people were sitting in a circle under a tree on Elko Island, just northeast, north coast of Australia. A local Indigenous school teacher, Kevin Rambu, who was leading the group, in, he cried out in prayer, Oh God, we've been praying that your Holy Spirit would fall on our people. Why does it not happen now? This was 1979, Aboriginal prayer meeting. And then it happened. (laughs) The Holy Spirit fell powerfully in that little group of Indigenous people. And for hours they prayed and sang in harmony. They wept, they danced as more and more people began to be drawn to what was happening and joined the circle. The meeting went on for days and hundreds of Elko Islanders became followers of Jesus. Soon the revival spread to Darwin, Central Australia, and other mission stations, and thousands, believing, thousands were believing in the good news of Jesus. And many went on to train as pastors and ministers for their own community. It's been called the Arnhem Land Pentecost. Who's heard of that? Isn't that interesting? It's just a huge thing that happened in Indigenous communities in 1979, and it's still happening. There's amazing things happening in Indigenous communities, and this is called the Arnhem Land Pentecost, and yet most of us have never heard about it. Um, Can you go to the slide with the picture of um, Reverend Jinnayini Gondara? He was part of this. 
part of that community revival. And listen to how he describes the outpouring of God's spirit on Elko Island. Some of us said that God had now visited us and once again established his kingdom among his people, bringing us into the freedom of happiness and into the reconciliation and and restoration in his love. Words spread like the flames of fire and reached the whole community And I couldn't sleep at all that night because people were just coming for ministry, bringing the sick to be prayed for, for healing. He goes on to say, the love of Jesus was being shared and many expressions of forgiveness were taking place in the families and in the tribes. Wherever I went, I could hear people singing and humming Christian choruses. It was just like Pentecost. And reflecting a little bit later about the Arnhem Land Pentecost, he says this, listen to this. When Peter and the others received the power of the Holy Spirit, they didn't stop. They went out. And so we started to minister to other communities. What a beautiful vision of the church. Jesus said, um, he said his message was to go to every tribe, to every ethnic group. And if you look at the average Christian in the world today, it's not a Western middle-aged man or woman. It's a poor African or Asian woman. The gospel has exploded across the world. God's mission has taken root in communities all over the world. Let me just share um, a a few with you, just for some encouragement. The Yoido Full Gospel Church in South Korea. In the the 1900s, there were virtually no Christians in South Korea. It was, it was predominantly non-Christian as a country. This is just one church um, where 400,000 people attend that church in South Korea over different campuses every week. It's huge. And then there's Calvary Temple, India. I wanted to go there last time I was in India, but I didn't get around to it. 125,000 people attend services every week uh, in, in that uh, church community. There's Victor Metro Church in Manila, 65,000 people attend that church every week. And then there's Bethany Church of God, Indonesia, 50,000 people attending every week. Elam Christian Mission El Salvador, 50,000 people attend services at that church every week. And then I'll have this one, Redeemed Christian Church of God, Nigeria. This is just one one of their churches, 50,000 attend every year. But that church started in 1952, hey? Every week, week, sorry. Yeah, every week. Every week, yeah. That church started in 1952. It now has 8 million members worldwide. (laughs) And they're in over 150 countries. And they have this vision of church planting across the world. So we'll we'll see that in the coming years. We'll see um, Asian, African church planters coming to Australia (laughs) Planting churches, it's already happening actually. South Korea sends out, I think, the most mission workers globally, second to the United States. So God is moving, God is doing his work across the world, and we're a part of that. And God wants us to get a little bit energized and excited and recommitted to his mission. That my life matters. God has a way of being able to look after my life, my family, my interests provide for me, as well as partake in his mission and his work. Luke 10.2, Jesus said, pray that God would send out workers into his harvest field. Pray that God would send out workers into his harvest field. Try and pray that prayer by closing off your own heart, your own life, to God. What if you're the worker? 
When we're all the workers, some of us are called to vocational ministry. We're in different sorts of you know, areas in society. That's fine. We're teachers. We're bakers. We're um, builders. And, and God's using us in our workspaces to be a presence of light and witness for him. That's okay. Um, but now and then God calls people and takes them a further step to say, would you follow me more specifically? Would you give your life to me more fully uh, to my gospel work? And that might be you over this month as we pray. That might be something God's calling you into. But even so, whether you're in your workplace, let's just go to the last slide. Thanks, um, Meg, Megan. MJ. Is that Megan, MJ, Meg. It's got to get my Megs right here. MJ, what does it mean to live for God's mission? Whether you're a family, whether you're an older single person, whether you're, you're widowed, whether you're not feeling 100% physically, uh, I was hearing from Rick, Rick Warren, Wick Warren. Rick Warren, who's kind of pastor in America, he's left uh, his church community recently after 40 years. He's now heading up a global initiative of like 2,000 organisations seeking to fulfil the Great Commission. It's huge. And he was saying that he, he has an autoimmune issue at the moment, which is causing him to be in pain all the time. But, but he was saying, I still feel called by God and God's using me, even though I'm physically not that strong. God can and will and wants to use you and me in his mission. And when I did this slide up, I kind of didn't cross the my out. And then as I looked at it, I thought, now hang on. These are all gifts, right? Your family is a gift from God. It's your family, my family, but it's a gift. Your relationships, your work and vocation, your money, your leisure and spare time, your retirement, your thought life, your spiritual gifts, your skills and experience. Okay, they're all given to us, but they're gifts. They're not ours. We're stewards of these things. And how will we steward our family, our relationships, our finances, our time, our leisure? Now, it's not sort of putting a guilt trip on you that every time you sit on the couch to watch the footy, you're thinking, oh, I should be serving Jesus. Now, watch the footy. That's all right. You know, that's fine. We can enjoy life as God's people. But think over this next month, what has God given me to use for his kingdom? How can I use it? for his purposes. How can I use it to get back to that, that vision that we started with, um, where God is taking everything, where God is leading everything? And I'll just read it again. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost and from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. What a great vision, what a great mission to have, to help people, human beings, be reconciled to their heavenly Father, to help them be part of that heavenly kingdom because there's two destinations that Jesus offers us, one with him, which is good, and one without him, which isn't good. Let's pray as the team comes up. Father, thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Lord, I want to say I'm sorry. If anyone else wants to join me, they can join too in their own heart. I'm sorry, Lord, when I forget about your mission, when I forget about your heart to seek and save the lost, to bring healing and hope to human beings. When I look at people who are well-off and educated and enjoying life and just assume that they're okay because they have all those things, when actually without Jesus there's no hope, there's no life. There's no future. 
Lord, thank you that you came to seek and save the lost, that every person is valuable to you. Every person matters. Every human being, every lost, spiritually dead human being is precious to you. And you've acted. You've come from heaven. You have acted. You have come. You have given your life for us, Lord Jesus. You paid for our sin. You gave yourself for the the judgment that we deserved. You bore that in yourself that we might know freedom, that we might know your favour, that we might know intimacy with God again. Thank you that our destiny in you, Jesus, is filled with hope, brimming, overflowing with hope, and that all the pain, all the struggle, all the disappointment, all the hurt of this life will one day be washed clean in that crystal clear river of life. Thank you that that's our destiny, that's our future. Lord, we recommit ourselves as a church, as individual followers of Jesus, to share that good news, to pray for those in our family, those in our networks, Lord, to give, to serve your mission, to give to your mission and serve your mission. Thank you, Father. We recommit ourselves, Lord, bless this month as we learn, as we hear about global mission, as we focus on it. Move our hearts, Lord. Change us that we would be able to be those workers afresh going in to your harvest field. For the, for the harvest is plentiful and the fields are ripe for harvest. We love you, Lord, and we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.